Yeah, we live in a world in which it's uh, very easy to become discouraged. As an example, have you ever had what we would call one of those days? You know, the kind of days that you think are as bad as they can get, only they get worse right before your very eyes? If you've ever had one of those days, I think you'll appreciate the following. These are true stories. The average cost of rehabilitating a seal after the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska was $80,000. And at a special ceremony, two of the most expensively saved animals were released back into the wild amid cheers and applause from onlookers. A minute later, in full view, they were both eaten by a killer whale. I can just picture that whale just like, thanks for cleaning them up. <laughs> or there's the story of a woman who came home to find her husband in the kitchen shaking frantically with what looked like a wire running from his waist towards the electric kettle. Intending to jolt him away from the deadly current, she picked up a two-by-four that was sitting by the back door, whacked him and broke his arm in two places. Until that moment, he had been happily listening to his Walkman. <laughs> I love that. Or the story of two animal rights protesters were protesting at the cruelty of sending pigs to a slaughterhouse in Bonn, Germany. Suddenly the pigs, all 2,000 of them, escaped through a broken fence and stampeded, trampling the two hapless protesters to death. Well, I was like, man, one of those days, huh? Finally, there's an Iraqi terrorist, Kahad Rajanet. He didn't pay enough postage on a letter bomb. This is great. This is great. And finally, man, you got, you're up and ready this morning. I'll finish it anyway. The, bomb, the letter bomb came back with return to sender stamped on it. Forgetting it was the bomb, he opened it and was blown to bits. What's the point? The point is we've all had bad days or days that we thought were bad, but they only went from bad to worse. Only to have somebody even come along after that story to give you an I can top that. And in our ongoing, ongoing study of the book of Romans, uh, we've come to a passage that reminds the believer that we can find freedom from discouragement. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to, uh, I'm going to figure out how to use this one of these days. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. If you've ever been discouraged, bummed out, down in the dumps, this passage was written just for you and just for me in such moments in time. In Romans chapter 8, we'll begin the passage at verse 18, and we read these words. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. 
For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In this passage, the one word that jumps out in the, is the word hope. In order to find freedom from discouragement, we must have hope. And hope is the belief that something good is taking place even though at first, uh, our first reaction is to believe the opposite of the circumstances that we find ourselves in at the moment. For example, I had a friend this past week who signed a contract to play with the New Orleans Saints. He had uh, currently, he had been, at, up until that point in time, he had played for the Rams, that's where we met. He went to New England and played for the Patriots, and he just signed a free agent contract this offseason uh, with the New Orleans Saints. And he had just moved his family, his wife and three children, down to New Orleans, and they were just getting settled, had only been there a couple of weeks, had gone through training camp, and Saturday night was the first game of the exhibition season. And during the kickoff of the second half, his coach threw him out on the kickoff team and said, hey, you know what, just go out there and fill in uh, and uh, go on the weak side, which is a side away from the ball. If anybody goes backwards, he'd be there. But bo bottom line is he was running down the kickoff. The ball carrier was on the opposite side of the field, running toward the out of bounds. And as he, as he kind of jogged over that direction, a teammate of his was knocked in behind him, fell on his leg and crushed his, his ankle and his leg in, in, uh, four piece, in four places right at the connection where the ankle and the leg connect. And so I heard about it on ESPN, and so I called him the, uh, the next day. He was in the hospital, so his wife gave me the hospital phone number. So I called him in the hospital, and he answered the phone. And, uh, you know, as we began to talk, he was sharing about, you know, what was going on. And the doctor had just been in there. They had just come out of surgery the, the night before. And he had a plate that was about eight inches long in his leg with eight screws in it and a rod going down through it to hold it, it all together. And his daughters had just left. And so we had a conversation just about all those, all those circumstances. And I thought, you know what, there's a, there's a candidate for discouragement. And, uh, and yet I'll talk to you a little bit more about what our conversation was. But, you know, you kind of go, well, you know what, that could discourage you a little bit. I spoke to a young lady this past week who went to the mall and she claimed she hadn't been there for several months. And uh, so I was... <laughs> Not that I doubt her, but I was interested in what she had to say. And she said, it was one of those days. So what happened? She goes, I haven't been to the mall in months. Parked my vehicle and came out, and the window was broken, and my, I left my purse in there, and the purse was stolen, my checkbook was stolen. It's just, it's just a mess. She was a candidate for discouragement. Another friend of mine is a general contractor that we do business work was doing a favor for one of his uh, customers. And this is the way favors always turn out. He's doing a favor for one of his customers, and the guy was there putting T-bar ceiling up, which is a drop-in ceilings. And as he was going up to, uh, uh, to uh, use what they call a gig pole to put wires up that they hang the ceiling from, he accidentally bumped one of the sprinkler heads. Yeah, and that's about what happens. When you hit one of the sprinkler heads, they're all pressurized, and, and the whole building filled up with water, ruining all the carpeting in the building. And it's just, you know, he was a candidate at that moment for time for discouragement. And, uh, you know, when we read through the Bible and we see that oftentimes we find ourselves being ill-treated in one way or another for following Jesus Christ, for suffering for our, our faith, we saw that in Romans 7, verse 17. And all of these things, when you think about it, could make us candidates for uh, discouragement. But the key to all of that is finding in this passage the word hope. And as we find this word hope, we're going to learn and see four things that God wants us to understand about this word hope. And we went into great detail the last time that we were together, and we saw the excellence of our hope was found in the word worthy. In verse 18, you'll notice that the Apostle Paul says as he considers everything that had gone on in his life, 
It says in verse 18 of Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us and in us and around us. And the point is this. The word worthy means to weigh carefully or take a look at what we have going on in our life and then to try to compare them to what God promises for the future for His people. And what he's saying is, he says, basically, in, in, in Paul's words, he's saying, when I take into consideration everything that, goes, that went on in my life and continues to go on in my life up until this moment in time, when I take it all into consideration, the times that I was beaten, the times I was left for dead, the time that I was stoned, the, the time that I was shipwrecked, the time that I was bitten by a snake, when I consider all the persecution that I've been through and all the trials and the tribulations and the physical suffering and the mental anguish and worrying about you as believers and your growth in the Lord or the watering down of the gospel and the gospel being preached that wasn't the gospel at all as we notice in the book of Galatians. He's saying, when I take all those things into consideration... When I consider that I just shattered my ankle, when I consider that somebody hit T-bar ceiling and they hit the sprinkler and it flooded a building, when I consider all the problems and sufferings of this life and all the things that could make me discouraged, you know what? I've come to this conclusion. They are not worthy to be compared to what God has in store for His people in the future. They don't even fit on the same scale. They don't even, they don't measure up. It's like, you know, everything pales in the comparison to what God has to offer and what he is going to show us. You know, what he's thinking, what he's saying in, in terms that I understand to be like, you know, taking a person who has a child that's playing t-ball baseball and trying to compare that child's ability to hit a baseball to that of Ted Williams or Mark McGuire. Say, you know, it, that's, it's not even worthy to be brought up in the same context. Or for those of you who, you know, get tired of the sports illustrations, how about taking someone uh, like, like a Rembrandt or a Van Gogh or a Da Vinci and comparing their mastery and their, their works of art to a first grader who's doodling in, in first grade and compare that to a work of Da Vinci. What he's saying is it's, it shouldn't even be brought up in the same context. I mean, it shouldn't even be talked about with the same breath. How can you compare the greatest of grace to this that's going on over here? You're back. <laughs> why, why do we get so discouraged? We get discouraged <laughs> when we focus on the wrong things. When we're in the midst of suffering... We often give them too much consideration. And we fail to look at the coming glory and we lose balance and sense of proportion. When we're in the midst of suffering, we give it too much, we just give it too much weight, too much consideration. And we lose proportion or perspective because we've forgotten the big picture. See, in other words, we must never lose God's perspective of what's going on at that moment in time in our life. We must never lose his vantage point and what he sees and what he is doing in the midst of all of that. We always have to keep everything with the backdrop of eternity in mind. For he considers the sufferings of this present day not worthy to be compared to the, re the revelation of the glory that's, that's to take place in the future. And so as we look at this, we begin to understand that there are certain things that we can expect as believers. And the expectation of our hope is summarized in the word looking. Verses 19 through 23, we read these words, For I consider, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from the slavery, its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He says, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The end of verse 18 and the verses we just read introduce us to the future aspect of salvation. It's a small section in light of everything that the Bible tells us as far as the future is concerned, but it's powerful in the essence of the message that we see before us. And in fact, the summary, a summary of everything that we've learned to date in Romans could be summarized this way. The past aspect of salvation, if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, is our justification. The Bible says that the guilt of sin has been taken away from us because of what Jesus Christ did in our place on the cross. The past aspect of salvation is being justified in that moment in time in each of our individual histories where we recognize what the Word of God says, that there's none righteous, no, not one, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That every one of us come into the world stamped with sinner on our very souls and we're guilty and condemned before God. The Bible says God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn it, for the world was already condemned. When was it condemned? We learned that we are dead in Adam. The moment that Adam rebelled against God, not only was he condemned before God, but all of us as his ancestors were, were condemned just as well. And as we realize that and understand that, we recognize that we're guilty. The Bible says that all of us who are guilty, every single one of us, are condemned before God, and the guilt of our sins is upon us, unless... We trust God's provision for forgiveness. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son into this world, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in my place and in your place and in, every, in the place of every person who what? Who believes on Him. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. The bottom line is that for those of us who have recognized we're sinners and responded with faith to the finished work of Christ, that Jesus indeed died in my place. The Bible says the guilt of sin is gone at that moment in time, that Jesus Christ bore our guilt for us. We're justified in a moment of time, believing the word of God. The Bible says the present aspect of salvation is sanctification, which is salvation from the power of sin. Remember, we are dead in Adam and alive to sin, as unbelievers. The Bible says when you and I trust in Jesus Christ, we are now what? We're dead to sin. And we're alive to Christ. And we can walk in newness of life. We have no excuse to continue to live like an unbeliever because we've got the power of God and the presence of His Holy Spirit in our life to give us enablement and the power and empower us to live a life that's right before God. That's not what makes us right before God. Trust and faith in Christ makes us right before God. But now God gives us His power and His presence through the Spirit of God to enable us to live a life that's pleasing to God, to walk in newness of life. If any of us are in Christ, old things pass away and all things got to become new. There's got to be a defining moment in every one of our lives. When we come to faith in Christ, we are no longer who we used to be. The easy believism of our culture is, is heresy. It doesn't follow anything that the Word of God teaches. We're to be new in Christ. 
And we're to walk in newness of life and in the power of the Spirit of God. We're not to be like we used to be. And quit making excuses for continuing to be disobedient before God. When you and I, as those who have come to faith in Christ, sin before God, it's because we deliberately choose to do so. Maybe it's a process in our growth where we still don't really believe everything God has to say. But my encouragement to you is this. If you believe what God has to say that will make you right before God, believe what he also has to say about living a life that's pleasing to him and the empowerment that he gives us. Now that has to do with the past, that has to do with the present, and the wonderful thing that we're learning about our salvation is there's a future aspect, which is glorification. And we will, we will experience that someday in the future. We are justified in the past, we are sanctified in the present and forward, and one day we will be glorified with Jesus Christ, and we'll see that in a minute. But the key word that we're finding here is the word looking. What should every one of us as believers be looking or longing to see. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. We should be looking and longing for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every believer should be living with the backdrop of Jesus Christ returning for you at any moment in time. For all those who have come to faith in Christ... When I find myself discouraged, it's because I have lost focus, I have lost perspective. My eyes are focused and fixed on my circumstances, and, and certainly not on Jesus and the promises of the Word of God. Do you follow that? When I am discouraged, it is because I have lost perspective. I am beginning to focus on what's going on in my life rather than on Jesus Christ and His eminent return and the promises of God in His Word for His people. That's as simple as that. There's no way you can get around that. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also, talking about those of Hebrews 11 that God has, has eternalized in his word, the, the, the believer's hall of faith. Faith is not the believing of something in spite of circumstances. Faith is believing, is obedience in spite of consequences. Faith is not believing God in spite of evidence. It is obeying God in spite of the obvious consequences. And in Hebrews 11, we read the words of those who walked in faith and not by sight. The Bible says all of us who are justified, what? We're justified by faith. We're also sanctified by faith. We've come to know Christ through faith, and we'll walk in faith and not by sight. But it says, therefore, since we have this this so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, therefore, let us also, as they did, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, doing what? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. The Bible says, and let us consider him, Jesus, so that we don't grow weary in what goes on in our lives today, so that we do not become discouraged by the circumstances of the present. The cure for discouragement for the believer is very simple, and that is to fix our eyes on Jesus and the events that God says you and I have to look forward to because when we fix our eyes on Him and we fix our eyes on the promises of God and we fix our eyes, as we've already mentioned, on what? On the return of Jesus Christ. What are some of the things that we should look forward to? Number one, the return of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that every believer should be fixed. Our eyes should be focused 
on the fact that Jesus Christ will be coming again. In Romans 8.18, it says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what? With the glory that's to be revealed to us. What glory is that? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. We get a little glimpse of it. A little glimpse of the glory that, the, that the Peter, James, and John saw. But what a wonderful preview of coming attraction, so to speak. In Matthew chapter 17, notice starting with verse 1. We read, And six days later Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that for us to be here, and if you wish, I will make uh, three tabernacles here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Sit at his feet and learn from him. Stay focused upon him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The Bible says, And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. And Jesus came to them and touched them, and he said, Arise and do not be afraid. The picture of the coming glory of Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ, is the blessed hope of every believer. When Jesus left, he said that I will come for you. In John chapter 14, turn with me ahead, and we see in John chapter 14, for those who were discouraged, for those who were brokenhearted, for those who had pain in their life, and were concentrating on the circumstances of the moment, Jesus, as he tried to encourage his followers, because they knew that there was a time coming where he would be crucified, and he would be leaving them, and they were discouraged by that. They didn't think they could go on without him. And he said this, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be discouraged. Don't be bummed out. Don't feel sorry for yourselves. It's going to be okay. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may also be. Think about it. What was Jesus' words of encouragement to his own followers when they were struggling with discouragement in their hearts? He said, don't be bummed out. This isn't the end of the program. This isn't the end. That moment in time that you're suffering today is exactly that. It is a speck in the moment of time in the backdrop of eternity. I'm coming back for you. I'm preparing a place for you. And if that wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you that. But because I'm saying it, it is trustworthy. It is reliable. You can believe upon it. You can consider it in your heart. and You can bank on it. It's going to happen. Jesus said, I will come again. In Acts chapter 1, the angel, as the disciples stood staring into space, said, why are you gazing intently into heaven? as they watched Jesus ascend into heaven, said, don't worry that Jesus, as he ascended, will return in much the same manner in the same way that you have just seen him leave. He's coming back. He's going to fulfill his promises. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, listen to the words of verse 10. For they themselves, in verse 9, report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. For those who have come to faith in Christ, the Bible says, And you will wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who delivers us from the very wrath that's to come. 
The Bible talks about Jesus coming, and we'll talk about it in a second in 1 Thessalonians 4, that he'll come and he'll gather his people to himself, that the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive will be caught up in the air the moment in time when Jesus returns for his people. The Bible says that he will deliver us from the wrath of God, the specific wrath and judgment of God. There will be a time in the future where God's judgment will be poured out upon this earth. For all who reject him and his Savior, the Bible says that there was a time of great tribulation and sorrow that the world has never experienced. And God says that Jesus will come and he will save us from that wrath. Not only from the wrath that's to come on the face of the earth, but the wrath and the judgment and condemnation of God, Jesus Christ, for those who have believed in him, will also save us from the condemnation of God. Therefore, there is what? No condemnation. For those who are in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5. We've been building on it as we've come to this point. And that's why in context it's really important to study the word of God. Because the argument, the reasoning has been laid out very clearly before us. And as we look at this, we can see exactly what it is he's saying. What is our cure for discouragement? The Bible says, wait upon the Lord. Those who wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and they will not faint. The Bible says that you and I in our moment of discouragement should be waiting upon the Lord and he will renew our strength. We sing a chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will suddenly grow what? Strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be considered or compared with the revelation of the glory that's to come. Wow, that's some good stuff, man. I mean, think about it. The return of Jesus Christ. How many of you, when you're bummed out and discouraged in that moment of time, think, you know what? Jesus could come back at any moment right in the midst of this and deliver me from all of it. How this pales in comparison. But you know what I found? Not many of us are looking forward to the promises of God. I'll bet you, if... I was such a betting person. And I'd give you odds, if that was allowable, that in the moment that you are discouraged, that you have forgot the promises of God. And that moment of discouragement, when was the last time you thought, you know what, Jesus could come back at any moment. And you know what, how big is this compared to that? See, we forget, right? We lose perspective. We lose focus. We take our eyes off of him and we put them on our circumstances. And then our circumstances, they're overwhelming. They're huge. We can't deal with it. They're gigantic. And we begin to sink in despair. We're like Peter who took his eyes off the Lord walking upon the water and he started to see the circumstances around him. Well, I can't walk on water. But we realize the word of God says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if I stay focused on the Lord, guess what? Man, you know what? How can I be discouraged in the midst of all of that? The cure for discouragement is waiting upon the Lord. The second event we have to look forward to is the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing of the sons of God in verse 19, back to Romans chapter 8. Take a look at it with me. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly. For what? For the revealing of the sons of God. This will occur when Jesus returns for his own. John chapter 14, we just saw it, that Jesus will come back for his own. Notice the words anxious longing. For the anxious longing of the creation. Anxious longing or earnest expectation. Literally means to watch with the head stretched from the body. I like that. It's kind of like you're on your tippy toes and you're just kind of like stretching your neck. You're trying to see something that you want to see. Illustration. Friday night. We're at a concert. And if anybody's ever gone to a concert, you know one of the gimmicks of a concert is that there's always an encore. 
you know, it just is. You know, the more you know, people make a lot of noise, and people they're going to come back, right? And that's just the way that it always works. And so sometimes I think, wouldn't it be fun just to kind of play a little joke on the performer and have no one cheer or applaud, and then see if they come back? But I, I don't know. But but the but it's just one of those things. So, but the point is this is that, you know, as people are looking for the encore, I'm looking around, and it was at the pond, I'm looking around, I'm watching people, and they're all going like this, trying to see if they're coming up the steps, trying to see if they're coming out a side door, trying to see where it is they're going to return from. They're anxiously expecting, earnestly expecting the return of these particular people. And they're like, wow, you know, where are they? I see that in athletic events when I'm at the stadium. I see people who stand outside the tunnel. And they wait, and they're trying to see in the dugout, or they're trying to see in the, in the, in the uh, gate. There's a player's entrance off to the back where we go in when we have our Bible studies. And there are people out there all the time. They're, like, waiting by the gates. I'm thinking, man, get a job or something, you know? It's just like, but they're always there. And, and they're always looking, and there's, like, these gates, and they're trying to see through the gates, and they've got their rubbernecking through the gate trying to see, you know? And it's really funny because it's like, you know, baseball I can look like a baseball player. So it's pretty funny. It's like, who's that? <laughs> Prince Charles, I've said it before. So, but... But, but it's like they're looking, you know, and they're trying to see. And I'm thinking, wow, you know what? I mean, do I, eagerly, do I eagerly and earnestly look for the return of Jesus Christ and the revealing of the sons of God? I mean, am I that excited about what God says in his word, about what we have to look forward to? As a person who looks forward to see someone who has a, in a moment of time is somebody. See, because the irony is this. That, you know, in this moment in time, that person's somebody. But I'll give you the most beautiful illustration I've ever had of this, of the feeding, fleeting nature of fame. Several years ago, I was speaking to the then Los Angeles Rams. We were having a chapel, and we did it at the hotel, um, because the, the, the NFL is four and a half hours before kickoff, so it's always at a hotel. So it was in a hotel meeting room. And this was several years ago when uh, Reggie Jackson was playing for the Angels. And Reggie Jackson happened to be there, and I got on the elevator, and Reggie got in the elevator with me, and we were, you know, we were riding up together. And uh, so we got in a little conversation, and as we got out of the elevator, we were walking to the room where, where the chapel was going to be conducted, and as we walked in, all the guys were standing around there talking, they were visiting, some of the coaches were there, and Reggie Jackson saw somebody that he recognized in the crowd. And he went over to him, and he said, you, you used to be Jimmy Ray. And Jimmy Ray it was a great quarterback, University of Michigan. He was a quarterback coach for the Rams. And he looked at him and said, and you know what? And one day, you used to be Reggie Jackson. And I thought, yeah, was that great? That was great. I was like, wow. They had an event at the stadium last week, and a, kind of a day of outreach. And one of the, a couple of guys from the Angels were there. One of the guys spoke. And, and uh, another guy came over, and, uh, and he had played for the Cincinnati Reds. He was on their World Series team back in the days when I lived in Pittsburgh. He played in, for the Cincinnati, and there was a big rivalry. So, you know, I knew who he was. He played on the World Series teams. He was a pitcher. And uh, some of you may know him. His name's Frank Pastore. He was a pitcher for the Reds. So I introduced him to some of the guys that are on the roster today. And a couple of more pitchers I introduced. I said, Mike, this is Frank, and, you know, Kevin, this is Frank. And, and so they were all, they all just, you know, said hello, whatever. We're sitting in a dugout. And Frank walked away, and he went back to home plate. And I looked at these three guys, and I said, do any of you guys know who he is? And they said, no, don't know who he is. Really? Well, because he was probably, they were, you know, in second grade or something, you know. <laughs> It's like, that's, that's the thing. It's sick. Jackie Slater used to just to kill him all the time when guys would come up and say, Mr. Slater, Mr. Slater. And they'd be on the same team. I've been following you since I was in fourth grade. <laughs> He'd be like, listen, son, don't be, t- don't, don't be saying that out loud now. It's like, man, what are you doing? 
like, but, uh, but, but anyway, none of them knew who he was. So I got to use that as a wonderful illustration of, you know what, if you want to be a star in this world, then be a shining star for Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that believers are like shining stars in the universe. That we're salt and we're light. And light attracts people. And attracts people for the purpose of what? To defer all the attention from us and to give it back to Jesus. Why are you the way you are? Why do you do the things you do? Why do you think the way you think? Why do you forgive when no one else would? Why don't you want to be revengeful or have vengeance in your heart? Why aren't you angry about what's going on in the circumstances you find yourself? And the reason's very simple, because in the backdrop of eternity, guess what? This doesn't make much difference, and God has a plan through all of it. And if the plan is nothing more than for me to use the light that's being attracted, so you're coming to me to ask me that question so that I can in turn share Jesus Christ in the love of God with you, then guess what? It all pales in comparison. Because eternity is at stake. The revealing of the sons of God. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. It's a wonderful thing to look forward to. Don't ever forget for our citizenship in verse 20 of Philippians 3. Our citizenship is what? In heaven. From which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that. We eagerly await. We're on our tiptoes. We're stretching our necks. We're looking for the day that He returns. We see Him in all of our circumstances in life. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are sojourners. We are renters. We are passing through. Why are we making ourselves so comfortable here? The Bible says in Mark chapter 4 that the fruit was snuffed out. It did not bear fruit. Why? Because of the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. We've become too comfortable here. That's why when our circumstances change, it rocks our world. We can't handle it. We're falling apart. Why? Man, because we've dug in too deep. We're just passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Do you notice that? When Jesus appears, 1 John 3, 2 says, we know that when He, when he appears, not if, we know that when He appears, we shall be just like Him, for we shall see Him as he is. Wow, the glory that's to be revealed, not only to us, but in us. We're going to be just like him. Tell me that doesn't pale into comparison to the problems that we go through today. One day you and I are going to be just like him. The Mount of Transfiguration was just a moment, a glimpse in time for the disciples to see the promises of God and what we have to look forward to. One day we're going to be just like him. And the word of God is very clear on that. The Bible also says that there will be a day where there will be a release of all of creation. A release of all of creation. Chapter 8, notice what he says. It says that uh, for the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Notice that. There's a day coming where all of creation will be set free. You say, set free from what? Set free from the corruption and the slavery that God had put upon the earth when he cursed it in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 17 through 19. It's just one more way of helping man to realize how guilty we are. 
when we look around at the world around us and we see what a mess the, the, the earth is, it is just one more indictment that, you know what, it's a mess because you sinned. It has been subjected to the curse of God. And every time we see a storm, and every time we see a drought, and every time we see anything like that, any time you go out and pull a weed in your yard, it is a reminder that you're guilty before God, and so am I. But thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sets us free. It is a reminder. But one day, one day, Jesus will return. And this earth will be exactly as God intended it for to be when it first came into creation. Read through the book of Isaiah what the promises of God are. There's a day coming when Jesus will come. And he will come for his people. And the Bible calls it the rapture of the day that we're caught up. And at the end of the tribulation period of time, Jesus Christ will come to this earth with us as his followers. And he will establish his kingdom here on earth. And the Bible says that the will of God, the word of God, will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And the Bible says that the earth will be transformed. And it will be a wonderful time, a thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. The Bible says the wilderness will become as fertile land when you fly over the earth, whether it's over this country or over the world, and you look down and you see a lot of nothing. The day in the millennium, the day that comes when Christ establishes his kingdom, you will not see barrenness. You will not see desert. You will not see any evidence of the curse. It'll be a day of productivity that this world has never seen. It'll be lush. It'll be fertile. It'll be just like the garden was before the fall. It's going to be a wonderful time. There'll be a change in the animal kingdom. The Bible says that the wolf shall lie down with the lamb and that there'll be no natural natural enemies any longer, that children can play in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the hole of a rattlesnake or the den of a viper and won't have to worry about getting bit. There will be no curse. The day will come, the Bible says, where the world's light will increase sevenfold. It'll get brighter and brighter and brighter. Brilliant beyond all imagination. It's just a glimpse of what's to come. Amen? Awesome. <laughs> That's funny. The sufferings of this present world, what? They're not worthy to be compared to that. Man, look at this. What I got going now? What else can we look forward to? How about the reunion of all believers? The reunion of all believers. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. About the dead, my brethren, I don't want you to be uninformed. But there is a day that's coming, the Bible says, where Jesus will come. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, we read, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, that you may grieve, as do the rest who what? Have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Man, I, you know, I, I ran into a guy last week who was discouraged. And he was down. He was bummed out. He was depressed. Whatever term you want to use. And he's an older man. I said, you know, what's the matter? He said, I miss my wife. They had been married over 50 years. And his wife, who had faith in Christ, went ahead of him to be with the Lord. And he said that he was discouraged. That he was down. He was bummed out, man. He was lonely. He missed his wife. And I can understand that. What do you say to a person 
in that moment in time, you tell them exactly what God says to tell them. You comfort them with these words. Let me tell you something, brother. Just stay focused one day on that reunion because it's going to be a beautiful time. For all of us who have lost, we haven't lost anybody. Why do people say we lost? We lost so-and-so. Lost means you don't know where they are. That you can't find them. That you're looking around. Where'd they go? We don't lose people. God doesn't lose anybody. The Bible says, I'm confident in this very thing, that absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. If you've trusted in Christ, we know exactly where you are. You're in the presence of God. You're not lost. We need to stay focused on the truth of the Word of God. You know what? When you can go to a man like that and say, listen, brother, let me tell you something. The Word of God says to comfort you with these words. You know what these words are? One day you will be with her, and you will be with the Lord forever. Just stay focused on the reunion, not on the separation. When we're focused on the separation, we're focusing what? On the circumstances. When we're focused on the reunion, man, I'll tell you what, it's not long before you can start to smile again. See, the Word of God is very clear that there's a day coming where there will be a reunion for all of those, and let me clarify this, for all of us who are in Christ. And the reality of that is this. The Bible says there's two destinations, that all human beings live forever. We all have eternal life, but it's just a question of where we spend that eternity. The Bible says that you and I can look forward to a day of reunion for those who are in Christ for those who have recognized they were sinners, for those who responded to that realization by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for those of us who are in Christ, we shall have a reunion like none that we've ever experienced on this side of eternity. But for those who are not, the Bible says that they die in their sins. They have been condemned already, and they're waiting for a final execution of God's judgment, which is an eternity separated from God in a place of weeping and mourning and gnashing of teeth. The Bible says it's not God's desire that any should perish, but all have come to faith in Christ, that all would experience eternal life and forgiveness, that Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient for all of humanity, but it only be appropriated for those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. We need to recognize the reunion is only for those of us who are in Christ. You see, the redemption of our body is also, as we look at this, the redemption of our body is also something to look forward to. In Romans chapter 8, notice that, that he says that we look forward to, in verse 23, the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body. Man, I'm excited about that, that, the thought of what the Bible teaches about our bodies being transformed to be just like Jesus. The redemption of our body. You know, the Bible says that our bodies, uh, that Scripture uh, depicts a picture of the post-resurrection ministry of Christ, and in that we get a glimpse of what we will be like, because we just learned in 1 John 3, 2, that when he, when he comes, that we will be just like Him. But there is a moment in time where we will be given bodies that are called resurrected bodies. And the Bible says it's a real body, that it's not a ghost. Um, it's a real body and not a ghost. And uh, when we consider the truth of that is, you know, Jesus showed up and He could be hugged. He could eat. And I just want to interrupt one thing. Who's that? A gray? Mr. Miss Gray? There you are. You win. Hey. Free donuts for life. <laughs> you want somebody to take your place right about now? <laughs> hey, remember, there are blessings from the Lord. Still need to do a word study of blessings someday, huh? <clears throat> 
but the, res- the redemption of our bodies. It's a real body. Christ's body could be seen, it could be felt, it could partake of food. Uh, the Bible says his body, body bears the, the uh, marks of the crucifixion. It's a, it's a bloodless body. The Bible says it'll, our, our bodies will be energized not by blood, because flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but it will be one that will be energized by the very Spirit of God. The Bible says that the composition of the body is going to be different from anything we've experienced. But I want to make this point because scientists tell us that all matter, including our bodies, is composed of protons and electrons in constant orbital motions which are separated by relatively large distances. So the high-speed particles, cosmic rays, for example, can go through our bodies without touching anything. It's important to realize that God's made nature. if God has made nature this way, it's no great stretch of faith to believe that God can make a body just as the one that Christ had after his resurrection in which he could appear in places and appear in other places. He could go through a wall or appear in a place because guess what? The Bible says the disciples were in the room and they were praying and the room was locked up for fear of persecution and Jesus appeared in their midst. And yet he appeared in a body that they could hug, they could touch. Thomas said, until I touch the wounds in his side, until I put my fist in his side and I put my finger in the hole in his wrist, I will not believe that he is resurrected from the dead. And in the midst, Jesus appeared in bodily form. And the Bible says, he said, touch me. But blessed are those who believe and have not seen. But blessed are those who believe the very word of God, that what God says is true and have not seen. We're going to have resurrected bodies. We're going to have redemption of our body, incorruptible, glorious, powerful body that won't be subject to sin any longer. We won't be struggling as Paul did and said, oh, wretched man that I am, who can set me free from this body of death? I'm struggling. On one side, I want to do what's right before God. On the other side, I'm doing what pleases me and I'm stuck in this struggle. Why? Because we've got corrupt bodies. But one day that body will be redeemed. What a wonderful thing to look forward to. Now, here's another thing to look forward to. The Bible says, Jesus said that there will not be marrying nor giving of marriage in heaven. Now, think about that. That could free... Don't go there. <laughs> if this is encouraging to you, sign up for the couple's retreat. Help is on the way. But, you know, this, I mean, but how exciting is that, you know? I mean, just think about all the promises of God. And I want to take a moment, and I want to challenge you to consider something. And that is this. If you are here, or you're listening to these words, because I know there's a difference between the two. <laughs> I know I've known you long enough. But, um, but, but if you are hearing these words, and there is no comfort in any of this, The Bible says that God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. If it is a terrifying or frightening thing to think about Jesus coming back someday and taking his own to himself, if that is a terrifying thing, the Bible says it's because it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God for those who do not know him. If it's a terrifying thing to think about all the things that are coming in the future. You may be here and think everything I said is whacked. Because I know I've been there. And I've heard things like this. And I go, man, that is nuts. Jesus is coming back, right? He's going to take people who believe in him and they're going to be caught up in the air. Yeah. Then he's coming back to the earth and he's going to establish a kingdom for a thousand years. There won't be any desert. There won't be any barrenness. There won't be any wilderness. There won't be anything that I see. And the only thing I see and know now is what I perceive through my senses. That we're going to spend an eternity with them for, in, in heaven. That, it, that there are going to be people who go to hell. You know what? I don't believe any of that. I don't understand any of it. 
then you know what? You will find no encouragement in any of that as well. Because without God's spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God, this is all foolishness to you. And I know because there was a day where it was nuts to me too. But the moment that I came to realize what God was saying was true, that I was a sinner. That I didn't maintain his standard of perfection. That on my best days I was still falling short of what God said I needed to be to get in his presence. When I began to examine the evidence all around me of, of the fact that, you know what, people aren't getting better. The world is not evolving into a better place. Human beings are not ascending to a higher plane of existence. That the world as we see it, you've you got to be nuts to believe that it was a product of some accident that just banged together and all of a sudden everything we see around us turned out the way that it did. Well, why didn't that same dust bang together on Jupiter or Mars or Mercury? I mean, why did it just bang together this way that all of a sudden we got a planet that can inhabit human beings? And why, if people evolve from monkeys, are there still monkeys? How stupid can you be to be a monkey? Why would you want to be a monkey? Why would you want to pick bugs off of your buddy and eat them? Think about it. But when I read, the Word of God says, you know what? The heavens declare the handiwork of God. That all of the creation shouts there's a creator. And I examine that evidence. It's not long before I start to realize, you know what? There is a greater purpose to everything. Who He is, He's chosen to reveal Himself. God reveals Himself through His, his creation. He reveals Himself through His written Word. He's revealed the problem of man that we're all sinners. And the evidence is overwhelming. It surrounds us. People aren't getting better. Watch the news. Read the newspaper. People are getting worse. Why? Because God has been removed from our culture. The truth of absolute moral values have been removed from our, our culture as a standard by which we're to live. But the Bible says that for all of us who come to recognize that and respond with faith to the fact that Jesus Christ came for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I talked to a gal this week who said, you know what, I don't like people telling me there's only one way to get to heaven. I said, you know what, that's too bad. I said, do you, do you work here? She said, yes, I do. I said, does your boss tell you what time to come and what time to go? Does he tell you what time to come back from lunch? Does he tell you how many days of vacation you accrue every year? Does he tell you if you can take off for sick time? Does he tell you things that you don't like to hear? I wasn't yelling at her like that. <laughs> I just, just wanted you to know. <laughs> It tends to draw an attention to, to things. That, but, but the point is, she looked at me and said, yes, he does. I said, you know what? If God is a God of authority, then don't you believe he has the same right to tell humanity what the program is? Don't you believe that he has the right to say there's only one way to get to heaven? You may not like it. I may not like it. Too bad. Kind of sound like Mary's apology this morning. <laughs> But the, but the reality is what? That's the way it is. Jesus said it. If you want to see the Father, you've seen him by seeing me. But if you want to get to the Father, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but through me. That's the truth of the Word of God. We may not like it, but that doesn't change it. You know, when I started to study this, I want to be upfront with you about something. I was struggling with some things that were going on in my life. I was struggling with some discouraging things. I was struggling with some situations that were taking place. And, man, when you're in the air conditioning business in the summertime, you can find yourself discouraged quite a bit. 
because you all get very nasty when you're hot and your air conditioner's not working. <laughs> and uh, man, you can get discouraged real fast. And, and you know, and, and then some other things were going on, and I started, you know, giving the, you know, the poor me thing, you know, feeling sorry for myself, wah, wah, suck my thumb, you know, and, uh, you know, and it's a very unattractive thing, you know, for a professional business person to do, but, you know, ever had those days you just want to crawl up in a ball and go, grab my, grab my silky, you know, whatever, and uh, just, just do that, you know, and then I realized as I was studying and I was looking at what God has to say, man, my, I, my focus wasn't in the right place. See, I was looking at my circumstances, and I was looking at me, and I was feeling sorry for me, and I was feeling sorry for all the stuff that was going on, and one thing after the other. And as I was reading it, irony wasn't lost upon me of studying how we can find freedom from discouragement as a believer in Jesus Christ and being discouraged in the process. Duh. But you know what? When I turned my eyes back on Jesus, and I started to look at the promises of God, and I looked at these events that we have to look forward to, and the promises that he's made that are reliable and trustworthy. You know, it wasn't long before I began to realize, you know what? That, that God is my lifeline. That God is my phone a friend. And I didn't need the AT&T operator to get a hold of him. Because we have access through Jesus Christ who sits at the throne of God and intercedes on our behalf day and night. And I could turn to him and say, Lord, forgive me for being so discouraged because there's nothing more selfish in life than to be discouraged in light of the promises that you make. In light of who you are. And the perseverance of all of it is that word that we're talking about. The endurance of our hope is perseverance. And let us persevere. Because the reality of all of it is this. That perseverance has to do with every day staying focused on Jesus Christ and the promises of God. While he threw a rope and he dragged me out as I received his help and said, Lord, thank you for that lifeline and thank you for that hope and thank you for throwing that down to me and pulling me out of this despair that I was in and put me back on high ground where I can smile again and see your purpose behind everything. Thank you for that. I said, but you know what? But the bottom line of all that is, all it took was one more phone call that was going the other direction. All it takes is one more circumstance that can drag you away from the truth. And the perseverance of God is be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is never in vain. Don't ever get down. Don't ever get discouraged. Don't ever get frustrated. And when you do, put your eyes back on Jesus and see God's hand and his purpose in all things. The perseverance of the saints. Man, you'll read about it often in scripture. And that is to keep on keeping on. Hang in there when things get down, turn to Jesus, turn to the word of God, turn to the promises of God, and I'll guarantee you this, it won't be long before you're smiling again. That's just the reality, because if God's spirit's living within you, bearing witness with your spirit, man, there's going to be amen and shouting time going on. When I read these words about the redemption of our body, the reunion of believers, uh, the, the return of Jesus Christ, the revealing of the sons of God, when I read all of that, man, within my spirit, the spirit of God says, amen, right, brother? I say, amen. Man, that's good stuff. We better close on this before I have a heart attack. I'll save the rest for next time. Next week, we'll take a look at the rest of it. But I want to close with a true story about a gal who had the right perspective. And that's really what it comes down to. So the woman was at work when she received a phone call that her daughter was very sick with a fever. She left her work, stopped by the pharmacy to get some medication for her daughter. And when returning to the car, she found she had locked her keys in the car. She was in a hurry to get home to her sick daughter. She didn't know what to do. She called home. The babysitter uh, told, told the babysitter what happened. She didn't know what she was going to do. The babysitter told her that her daughter was getting worse, and she said, you might find a coat hanger and use that to open the door. 
So the woman looked around, found an old rusty coat hanger, been thrown down on the ground, possibly of someone else who had locked her keys in the car. She looked at the hanger and said, I don't know how to use this. So she bowed and prayed and asked God to send someone to help her. Within five minutes, an old rusty car pulled up. Dirty, greasy, bearded man was wearing an old biker skull on his head. The woman thought, dear Lord, what what, what did you send here to help me? But she was desperate. She was desperate and discouraged and she took the help. The man got out of his car, asked her if he could help. She said, yes, my daughter's very sick. I stopped to get her some medication. I locked my keys in the car and I got to get home as soon as possible. Is there any way you can help me unlock the car? He said, sure. He walked over the car and less than one minute the car was open. She hugged the man. Through her tears, she said, thank you so much. You're a very nice man. To which he responded, lady, I'm not a nice man. I just got out of prison today. I was in prison for car theft. And I've only been out for about an hour. The woman thought for a second. She hugged the man with tears in her eyes. Sobbing loudly, she cried out, Thank you, God, for sending me a professional. (laughs) Perspective. What's your perspective? Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Amen. See you next week.